<clears throat> we have been studying the life of the biblical hero, Joseph, one of the great stories from the Bible. And I don't know how it is with you, but when I am going back to study these different characters that I you know, grew up reading about when I was a kid, I'm astonished by how much I actually don't know about them. If you grew up going to church, you know the story of Joseph, and if you grew up during the time of flannel graphs, <clears throat> yeah, so I'll explain just in case someone doesn't know what a flannel graph is. It was a board that had a piece of flannel on it, and then there were all these little, let's like drawings, figures, whatever they were, that had this kind of like lightweight Velcro stuff on the back. And you'd tell the story, and you'd like slap Joseph up on the flannel graph, and he'd stand there, and then, you know, it's just what it was. I don't know. <laughs> but I do remember, when I was a kid, uh, seeing Joseph's coat of many colors on the flannel graph. I, and I think, and I can't be sure about this, that there were also, uh, like, the stalks of grain that were bowing. I think I remember those from the flannel graphs. <clears throat> It's a great story. You know, there are stories that we tell our children from the Bible over and over again, and Joseph is one of those stories. It's filled with ups and downs and ultimately a great victory for God and his people. But maybe you have been convicted, like I have, how different of a story this is than what I thought it was before we started digging in more deeply. So what have we seen so far? Another review. We're going to do this every week, so just be ready for it. He was born into, let's just say, a family that had some problems. Um, he was given dreams by God that indicated he would have a position of power and that his family would bow down to him. He was his dad's favorite and therefore got the coat of many colors. He told on his brothers and his brothers hated him because he was the favorite and a tattletale. So they decided, as only brothers can, to fake his death and sell him into slavery. <laughs> Jacob was sold to Potiphar, who was the captain of the royal guard in Egypt. And God was with Joseph and blessed everything that Joseph encountered, which means that Potiphar's house was blessed because Joseph was there. Everything that he had, his fields, his crops, his animals, all of it. Now, Potiphar's wife took notice of Joseph, who had risen to become the chief servant in the house. So much was he trusted by Potiphar that Potiphar didn't have to worry about anything while he was there. But Potiphar's life, wife looked at Joseph and said, my, aren't you well built? It says it in the Bible, okay? <laughs> Stop looking at me like that. <sighs> Judgy McJudgersons. She took notice of him and tried to seduce him, but Joseph refused, but she persisted and he refused and she persisted and he refused until finally she cleared the house so it was just them and tried to drag him to bed and he ran off without his clothes. She accused him of trying to make sport of her and Joseph was thrown into prison and while he was in prison, he rose to become the chief prisoner other prisoners were put into his care, and the chief jailer did not have to worry about anything while Joseph was there. So what we're learning so far in the story is that it's not so great to be Joseph, but it's really good to be someone who's associated with Joseph, right? Which, I mean, don't we all want to be that person? 
The royal baker and cupbearer were thrown into prison for offending Pharaoh, and while they were there, they had dreams. Dreams, I say, dreams again. Joseph asserted that only God can interpret dreams, and then he, Joseph, went on to interpret dreams. Not that he was claiming to be God, but he knew that God was with him and that only he had the power to say what was going on. Through dreams, God was giving people a glimpse of the future, the future that was not in their own hands, but a future that was being written by God himself. He is the one that sets the future. God is the one who gives the dreams. Therefore, only God can say what the dream means. And only Joseph, who is God's man, can tell other people this is what the dream means. Now, his interpretations were correct. And something we need to, again, appreciate about this fact, that God gave the baker and the cupbearer the dreams, that Joseph said what they meant and that they came true, is it sets the table for us in terms of what's going to happen this week. Because now what do we know? Well, we know the outcome of it wasn't arbitrary because God set the outcome. We know that Joseph, because God is with him, can accurately say what these things mean. And we know that no actions on the part of anyone else is really going to change what God said is going to happen in the future. So Joseph asked the cupbearer for a solid. The cupbearer got the good interpretation. Remember me when you are restored. And the cupbearer promised he would, got back into Pharaoh's court. His head was lifted up, not off, and he promptly forgot about Joseph. God has a great destiny in mind for Joseph. We know that. We've read the story. But it is taking forever for him to get there. And on the way, Joseph becomes a slave, an imprisoned criminal, and someone that others use without consideration of him. No one is asking how they can help Joseph out. Even the positions that Joseph has been put into, he is caring for others. They are not caring for him. And why is Potiphar and the, the, the chief jailer, why are they so happy? Because they don't have to work while Joseph is there. Joseph does it all for them. Meanwhile, God was pouring out his blessings on everyone but Joseph. In fact, on his owner, his slave master, on his captor. And the thing about this story so far and why we need to live in this space a little bit is because in many ways it, does, it undoes our romantic view of what it means to be God's chosen. But it is also, I think, probably more true than to our experiences than if Joseph just woke up one day and was in command of Egypt, right? How can we identify with that? There is no way we can, but this sort of messed up, unexpected journey is something that I think we can probably all say, huh, that seems like my life sometimes. We talk about the timing of God. That everything happens in his time. And, you know, I believe in that, but it's a frustratingly vague concept that requires us 
to accept that whatever comes our way is a part of God's plan. And in fact, we sometimes make ourselves feel better through difficulty saying, well, this must be part of God's plan. This must be what God wants for me. Now, personally, I don't practice such a straight-line analysis. You know, this happened so that God can do this. This happened that God can do that. And the reason why I don't practice that particular, you know, uh, an analysis in my own life is because it can make God kind of frustratingly arbitrary. You know, if, if God wanted me to learn this lesson, couldn't I have learned it a different way than having to, you know, go through whatever it was I had to go through? And we see this in the story that God laid out the dream and that those who oppose the dream take it out on Joseph. And, and God was not necessarily making that happen. It never says in the account, for example, that Joseph's brothers were influenced by God, that Potiphar or Potiphar's wife were influenced by God, that the jailer was influenced by God. In fact, the only person that we know who is influenced by God in the story is whom? Joseph. Is Joseph. So God was not necessarily making all those things happen, but maybe there's something that we haven't considered when we look at this part of the story. And that's this. We don't necessarily like the path because we wouldn't want to be on that path. But how did we expect God to get Joseph from favorite son in the desert to second command in Egypt? How should God have done that? I mean, let's just say from the start that God gives him success and his brothers accept the dream and they bow down to him right there. So what? Where does that get him? Nowhere than where he already was as being the favorite that had the most influence. And so sometimes when we look at these stories and we look at our own story, our own paths, we get bogged down by the details, how long it's taking, why is there this step, why is there that step. But when we look at the story of Joseph and where he started from versus where we know he's going, we see that what God had in mind for Joseph was bigger than Joseph. And it was bigger than Joseph's family. It was bigger than the slave traders. It was bigger than Potiphar in his house. It's bigger than the jail. In fact, what God is going to do through Joseph is shockingly absurd. It really is one of the weirdest things if we just look at everything objectively that we see in the Bible. And I, I know, like, there's talking donkeys. Like, I get it. Someone swallowed by a fish and lives in a fish three days. Yeah, all that's weird. But I mean, in terms of narrative, like, this is pretty strange. And something we have to recognize is the impossibility of all of it. It, it shouldn't, this shouldn't have happened. So, Joseph was forgotten in jail. Let's jump back in. If you have your Bibles open in Genesis 41 or turn on your phones or your iPads. Genesis 41, verses 1 through 8. 
when two full years had passed, so remember, he's in jail, forgotten, two full years, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile, when out of the river they came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Now, I want to make one thing clear, going back to the flannel graph I referenced earlier. While we might have had uh, the fat cows and the sleek cows, there was no flannel graph picture representing the gaunt cows eating the fat cows. I just want to... <laughs> flannel graph was not traumatizing. It was just a way to help communicate the story. But there's some kind of interesting things we need to note here. Number one, who got the story moving again? Joseph had interpreted the dreams. He asked uh, the cupbearer to remember him when he got there. The cupbearer forgot. So who initiates all of this stuff again? God does. He restarts Joseph's trajectory by giving Pharaoh a dream. Now, here's something we need to reckon with, okay? God could have given Pharaoh this dream at any time, right? It could have happened right after the cupbearer was restored to help the cupbearer remember, oh, yeah, there's this guy. But it didn't. Instead, God waited for two years. So for two more years, Joseph stayed in jail, taking care of other prisoners, and waited. Now, Pharaoh did not know what the dream meant. Of course he didn't, because we already know he can't figure it out. So he called all of his spiritual advisors in to help him figure it out. And unfortunately for Pharaoh, none of his advisors could tell him what the dreams meant. Why? Because God gives dreams, only God can interpret dreams, and therefore only the one who is with God or who God is with can interpret the dreams. Now, we don't appreciate how big of a moment this was. Pharaoh had these very troubling dreams, and at the end of the day, there was nothing he could do to figure them out, which were like, sure, of course, that's because this, this, and that. But at that moment, when Pharaoh cannot figure it out, and none of his advisors can figure it out, the king of the most powerful empire on earth was helpless. There was nothing that he could do. There was nothing that his kingdom could do. The answer was going to have to come from somewhere else. And Pharaoh, like every king or imperial master, he presumed a monopoly on knowledge. If anyone had the answer, it was him. I mean, even those advisors that would come and give him advice, he still had to say, oh, well, that's good advice. How do I know? Because I'm Pharaoh. That's how I know. 
These kings were often considered to be a direct representative of God in human form if they were not a god themselves. But in these dreams, the knowledge that is needed is knowledge of another kind. And Pharaoh has no part in this knowledge. We are confronted here with a knowledge that lies outside the capabilities of, again, the most powerful empire at the time. And when this happens... The monopoly of knowledge in that empire is broken. Do you know what I'm saying? No longer can Pharaoh or his advisors claim to have answers because they have run up against something that they cannot answer. That's a pretty big deal, everyone. I mean, Pharaoh knows many things. He knows how to manage and administer and control. He knows how to prosper and oppress but he does not know how to discern the movement of God within his kingdom. Only God knows that. Therefore, these dreams are so crucial because they take the initiative away from Pharaoh. He is no longer the subject of the dream, the one who God and history is going to do everything through, but now he is the object. He receives the message and can't do anything with it. So the power of God comes suddenly into the story and reminds us that in spite of everything that has happened, that God is the one who is writing this story. And most importantly, Pharaoh, the most powerful man on earth, can do nothing about it. God is writing the story, and Pharaoh can do nothing about it. Let's pick it up in verses 9 through 16. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Oh, sure. Now you're reminded of your shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. He's right. I mean, that is what happens. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph says, I cannot do it. And I would like to think that he paused dramatically. I cannot do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Now look, it'd be easy for us to criticize the cupbearer here. Uh, he did forget about Joseph, but the cupbearer was never going to solve Joseph's problem. I mean, even if he went directly to Pharaoh and said, hey, guess what? There's a prisoner that can interpret dreams. Pharaoh would have said, cool. So can all these other people over here. Finally, he does remember Joseph. He put two and two together and pointed Pharaoh in the right direction. 
but it was only because of the prompting of the dream that God gave Pharaoh, okay? Now, we know from the story that, of course, none of this is accidental. What we don't appreciate is how intentional every moment actually is, you know? Sometimes we look at stories like these, and when the details start to line up, we're like, wink, wink, God, right? And, and yeah, that's, that's true about this story. But everything that is happening is happening to prove one thing. Yeah, that God is in control, but more so, that God is bigger than Pharaoh. And that for all of this time that Pharaoh thinks he has been the man in charge, he has just been a man who was born into wealth and wears nice clothes. I'm assuming. Joseph was called to the big leagues and presented with the problem which no one else can answer. Now, let's think for a moment how absurd it is for the most powerful man in the world to call a prisoner out of the dungeon, make sure he shaves and showers first, and then comes to interpret this dream that no one could interpret. Friends, this was an act of desperation on the part of the Pharaoh. And we have underestimated one important thing about this whole story, how troubling these dreams were to him. These dreams had to have been vivid. He describes them in great detail and scary as could be. He was compelled to find meaning to them. And as one answer failed after another, he got more and more uptight. So much so that when the guy who serves him wine said, hey, I know a guy, he calls that guy up from the dungeon. He calls a foreign slave slash criminal to come before him and tell him as the king of this great nation what to do. Pharaoh felt like he had to find an answer and this was the only option left to him. The power of that age and any age is rendered helpless before the purposes of God. It's a big deal. And from this point, maybe you haven't noticed this yet, but this is why I study during the week, I suppose, is to notice things for you. While we know that God has been moving the story It has been the actions of other people that became the catalyst for the next thing. Joseph, we hardly know anything about. All these people have committed these actions to come in between Joseph and the dream, and their actions have been driving everything forward. But from this point on, the actions of others will have no effect on the narrative because God is driving the narrative forward. From this point on, he has shown himself in the dreams that Pharaoh has. And so Joseph told him exactly who was going to interpret. Listen, man, it's not me. It's God. God has a message for you. 
So tell me about your dreams. Verses 17 through 32. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. <laughs> That's great. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first, but even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. <laughs> then I woke up. That's an interesting observation that he makes. In my dream, I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land." The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. Pharaoh presented the dream, and Joseph very calmly and confidently told him, the world is different today than you thought it was yesterday. And what you thought it was yesterday, you were wrong. It's like he's waking up from the matrix, right? Welcome to the real world. These things are going to happen, and they're going to happen, why? Because God will make them happen. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. The message throughout is that this is happening, and the reason why it is happening is because God is going to make it happen. Therefore, you, Pharaoh, can do nothing to change this. You can do nothing to change what is going to happen. Joseph is not really distracted by the phenomena of the dream itself. Instead, everything he says is focused on God, the one with whom Pharaoh finally must deal. And Joseph makes a flat and unembarrassed statement to introduce the new reality to, to Pharaoh. You are no longer in charge. Well, you know, actually, you were never really in charge, but officially, as of today, you are no longer in charge. Now, there is special significance to famine being in Egypt's future. 
And we cannot grasp this idea fully until we recall that the Nile River was an expression of imperial power and fertility. It was a big, rich river that fed the land around it, that created space for things to grow and to prosper. And therefore, Pharaoh's job of, you know, administration over the Nile and where things should grow and how all that should happen permitted him to generate and guarantee life as, as they cultivated that land, as they lived there along the Nile. He, in a sense, was a life bringer to his people. And now he's staring at the bleak future that says, the thing you have relied on all this time to help keep your land fat and healthy is going to fail you. And it's all going to dry up. Not the Nile's going to dry up, but all your land, everything is going to go away. And so ultimately, he gets to the end of this, and what is Pharaoh left with? He's still wearing nice clothes, I guess. <laughs> he probably likes snap for the cupbearer at this point. The story has just announced to him that the free, sovereign God is at work in one of the most powerful empires on earth. And there is nothing that the leader of that empire can do to change that. So he must accept, he must accept that this is true. He must accept it's true. And it's hard for us to grasp the powerlessness that this most powerful man must have felt in this moment. We can't wrap our minds around it. What he really needs is someone to help him figure the way forward. Preferably a foreigner who's done some time as a slave and prisoner. That would be the ideal situation for him here. Genesis 41, 33 through 40. And now, Joseph says, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his officials, so Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man one in whom is the Spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. I feel like I need to take a knee for a moment. First off, yeah, like, whoa. Things have changed in a hurry. Joseph started the day off as a forgotten prisoner. He ended the day as second in command in Egypt. And what has happened to him in this brief amount of time is staggering and makes no sense whatsoever. Again, his resume, rejected by his family, foreign slave, criminal guilty of trying to assault the wife of a chief official. But there was one thing that trumped everything else, friends. God was with him. And do you know what else is extraordinary? As we get it in this story, is that 
Joseph presented a fully formed plan to solve a complicated problem he had just heard about. It's no wonder that Pharaoh was like, well, here, (laughs) will you do this? God is with you and you have a plan? Sign me up. But as you read it, Joseph just lays out the plan without any reference to him being the one to carry it out. But Pharaoh recognizes that by listening to Joseph, the empire cannot undo what is coming, but they can be ready for what is coming. And they can survive what God is going to do. A man who is needed is discreet and wise, who bears the marks of discernment and shrewdness. But more importantly, now this dude has to know God. Because there is no way forward without that wisdom into the dream that God has given. One cannot lead Egypt forward if he does not know God, period. So in the end, there is in fact only one choice. And that's Joseph. Pharaoh has to choose, get this, Pharaoh has to choose the one that God had already chosen. No one could do such a thing but God. And it does us a little bit of a disservice that well, and it does Joseph a great deal of disservice that everything he has been through, we find out in the next chapter for the last 13 years. He's 30 at this point. We picked up his story when he was 17. 13 years. All of that changes in a moment. In a moment. Here's what we see. Number one, there are always enemies to God's dream. We've seen this all along, right? Number two, do not expect those who do not understand what God is doing to get on board with the plan simply because you tell them, well, God has a dream. It doesn't work that way. And haven't we seen that over and over again in Joseph's life? But more than any of that, None of this story is about Joseph. I know that sounds weird to say, but none of it is about Joseph. In fact, throughout the story so far, Joseph is a piece of art on a flannel graph. No, he is. Moving through this story that God is laying out. I mean, think about it, guys. To this point in the story, this has been the most impersonal look at a biblical hero we can read. We have descriptions of kind of what he looks like. We know that he makes good choices, but even those are very limited descriptions. We know he's trustworthy, but not because we know anything about him. We know what other people are responding to him. We learn more about what Joseph thinks and feels only after God's plan comes to be. When he deals with bringing his family back, when he goes through those steps, that's where we learn who he is and what he thinks and what he feels and what he's like. 
Therefore, we learn something that is sometimes hard for us to want to be a part of, and that is the story only works because God is in it, not because Joseph is in it. Now, that's good news, actually, for us, right? It's good news. But it reminds me that sometimes when I am paying such close attention to every obstacle, every enemy, every time I trip and stumble, every time things are hard, I am not, in fact, thinking about the dream God has for me. I'm thinking about the dream I have for myself. I'm thinking about the road that I want laid out in front of me. And Joseph is a hard reminder that God may give us grand dreams, but the path to those dreams are not always easy or pleasant. They can be difficult and hard. They can require us to wait longer than we want to. And here's the thing. Whether Joseph needed this or not, from the time he was 17 to the time he was 30, he had no choice but to wait on God. None. He couldn't go off and start his own thing. He couldn't build his own side business, making cloaks of many colors. He could only wait on God. Would we have waited an extra two years for God to give Pharaoh a dream? But the last thing I hope you see is that God delivered on what he said he would do. Because God is not only a promise maker, he is a promise keeper. He is not only the giver of the dream, he is one who makes the dream happen. And sometimes, like Joseph, we are holding on by our fingernails to get to that point. But God will deliver on the dream that he puts in front of us. Amen? Amen. Think how much of a relief this had to have been to that dude. Oh, thank goodness. Think about, think about what it must have felt like for him to, to just be free again. After 13 years, to be able to walk outside and not be told where to go next. He trusted God, he waited for God, and God did something extraordinary through him. Really, almost to him as he goes through this. We can take great hope in this, everyone. We really can. Because we know that God when he puts something in front of us, something that he wants to accomplish in the world that we get to be a part of, we get to be a part of, we know that God will bring that dream to reality. And just to be clear, God also kind of saves the known world in the process. God is really big, everyone. What he does is big. And I am grateful that he deems it appropriate to take us along with him. Amen?